Welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media by searching Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Medium Cool Pod. Paul, mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. I'm getting lazy here. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, you can also like, subscribe, follow, wherever you're listening to this. It really helps. And if you could uh, rate or, uh, you know, uh, review our show, anything you can do, we really appreciate you. So uh, all that said, uh, today we are going to celebrate uh, the in memoriam, the life of James Kahn. Uh, the great film actor who starred in so many films. It's just ridiculous. Joe and I will get into some of those later. Um, But uh, Joe and I are going to talk a little bit about The Godfather, and really it's more of a gush, I have a feeling. You know, we're just going to basically lose our minds talking about how great this movie is. And then uh, uh, before that, though, I'm going to talk about Thief, which is actually, I think, maybe James Caan's best work. I actually think that. Um, I need to see a few other films of his, but from everything that I've seen, um, dude is so on fire here. Uh, I really, really love him. So uh, I'm going to talk about Thief from 1981. It was Michael Mann's first feature. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, I have a lot of things coming up soon. I've been uh, scheduling out uh, most of uh, the summer, let alone uh, a large part of the rest of the year. Uh, talking to other people, getting other guests on, trying to find some uh, specific things to talk about, things like that. I have a lot of really awesome guests coming up, okay? So I'm really excited for you guys to hear about that. Um, And it's going to be in a few weeks from now. Uh, Most people are free around the end of summer. So that would be really fun. And between now and then, I'm still going to have some other great guests as well as uh, some fun things to talk about. Next week, I plan to talk about Stanley Kubrick because next week's episode uh, should be airing or should be dropped or released or whatever on July 26th, which is Stanley Kubrick's birthday. Now, of course, Stanley Kubrick died in 1999. And uh, so this is a posthumous celebration of life. Okay. Um, Stanley Kubrick is my favorite filmmaker. I have an, like a collage of his movies tattooed on my body. Um, I may even take a picture of it and post it on Instagram or something just so you guys can see how big of a nerd I am for this guy. I know for sure we're going to cover 2001 A Space Odyssey. I am letting my guest choose the other film, so that will be a fun surprise to see, uh, <clears throat> you know, what what ends up working out. Um, because uh, I have different people that I'm waiting for a confirmation to be the guest for next week, and whoever it is, it will be a very different movie, I feel like. <laughs> so it just depends on who it is. Uh, but next week's going to be fun, uh, and we'll have uh, a guest, and we'll be talking about Stanley. Kubrick, so that'd be fun. But for now, uh, I'm going to jump over and talk about uh, Michael Mann's Thief before Joe and I talk about The Godfather. Michael Mann's first feature, Thief, from 1981, written and directed by Michael Mann. Of course, this is the uh, director who brought us Manhunter, which I believe was the first depiction of uh, Hannibal Lecter. This is prior, of course, to the Science of Lambs and things. 
Uh, he also brought us Heat, which was just like that banger of an action movie with like Val Kilmer, uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, just like the whole gang was there. Uh, it was great. Uh, Collateral, I don't know why I just stuttered there, but um, Collateral was a movie I actually did not like at all when it came out, and then I kind of grew to appreciate it. He also did Public Enemies, which I remember liking, but that was like a real long time ago. Uh, for me, it's like 2009 or something, but still. Uh, and then The Insider from 1999 is just is so great. So Michael Mann, I'm a fan. Michael Mann also has a very distinct thing that I'm going to talk about. Um, I about did it now, but there's no point in it. I'm introducing it. Written and directed by Michael Mann, loosely based on the book The Home Invaders by Frank Hoheimer. Uh, in an interview, Michael Mann said that this is really not a movie based on The Home Invaders. It just inspired him so much that he... Uh, went ahead and uh, did that. Uh, the cast, James Kahn, Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, Jim Belushi, and Robert Prosky, who's just the fucking greatest. Um, it is. Uh, it was released March 27th, 1981. Uh, had a budget of $5.5 million, and it made $11.5 million, which is uh, you know, more than double. That's pretty great. Uh, it is streaming for free on Pluto TV and Tubi. If you just Google Thief 1981, you know, usually it'll pop up with areas it's streaming. You'll find it there. That's how I found it. Uh, but otherwise, uh, it's a little bit harder to find at the moment. Criterion has a great, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like Blu-ray of it that I just, wa I watched the Criterion Blu-ray of it. Uh, it looks absolutely stunning. It's incredible. Uh, but anyways, so it's a the film is about Frank, who is an expert professional safe cracker specialized in high profile diamond heists. He plans to use his ill gotten income to retire from crime, but uh, and build a nice life for himself, complete with a home, wife, and kids. To accelerate this process, he signs on with a top gangster for a big score. And we know how this often goes. Um, this movie is awesome. It is often considered a neo-noir, which is, I mean, I guess I kind of get that. I don't really see it as a noir per se, but um, it is uh, it, it's a pretty stylized noir. If anybody knows anything about Michael Mann, which is the first thing I want to talk about here, uh, what I kind of hinted at earlier is, uh, you know, whenever we talk about Woody Allen and a lot of his early films, people often use the term like, oh, yeah, it's like it really it's that like Woody Allen, New York. Right. Like he has his own way of depicting New York that people have kind of made a term for. Same thing with Spike Lee, Spike Lee's New York. Right. There's like a very distinct vibe to that. Right. And then there's Michael Mann's L.A. But the trick for this film is it doesn't take place in L.A. It takes place in the city that uh, Michael Mann grew up in Chicago. And uh, so, you know, we have this uh, Chicago businessman. Uh, and Thief, who played by James Caan, uh, who owns, you know, a, a car dealership and he has a few other businesses, uh, you know, around the city. But he's also a jewel thief. And uh, Michael Mann has this in, like just incredible ability to depict a city in a way where it just feels so much more than it is. And I don't know how to explain that exactly. I'm going to try because Chicago's a big city, but it's the way he shoots. So in Thief, for example, you never get those, like later in his work, he'll start doing these big kind of aerial shots of a city, and you just get, there's just like a vibe to it, man. But in this, he never goes higher than the buildings. It's like almost always right on the ground, 
right? And there's this very like you're in this movie with him, right? With uh, with Frank, the 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 main character played by James Caan. And so you get this really interesting vibe. All of the cars look a certain way. The way that the city is shot looks different from that angle because it's raining a lot of the time. So you see the lights reflecting off the city streets. Um, and just the way things look, are it's very unique. And also with Michael Mann, something that you get with his films, especially something like this, a heist movie, is uh, instead of montages, because Michael Mann doesn't really do montages per se, uh, he makes us sit through the process, not only allowing us to learn of the thieves' skill, you know, like what they're able to do, but also feeling the tension of time passing. You know, there's uh, uh, James Kahn is, is wearing this little monitor that is kind of uh, signaled into the getaway car, and the getaway car is on a police scanner. And so he can actually hear uh, the uh, frequency or whatever. He can't hear the actual police scanner, but he can hear the frequency of what's going on and how much uh, you know time he has or if anybody's like been called on him, like the way that it, that the frequency sounds or whatever. I don't know how to explain that to you, but the point is he can know if the cops are coming, right? That's the point. And so uh, you know they have all of these little awesome things that build tension and also show you how fucking professional these guys are. And that's the thing about uh, Michael Mann. He like makes movies, and the people usually in his films are fucking professionals. It's awesome. Anyways, so uh, yeah, you know, Michael Mann, he makes us, he doesn't do montages, he makes us sit through it, which has a whole different effect. And, uh, you know, he actually had the cast learn how to be thieves by using actual thieves tools working with convicted thieves on set and being forced to perform these skills on camera legit. So whenever you see him using, and you can watch a trailer and it shows this, when you see him using this like uh, like weird torch thing on a safe and he's cutting through like four inches of steel or whatever, they're doing that in real life. This thing is like thousands of degrees and the actual actors are doing this work. Um, they were actually able to use these things and were taught by people who have used these things professionally. I think that's fucking awesome. So, uh, yeah, that, like, that is just an extra little thing that makes Thief so awesome. Granted, learning to use certain tools from people that actually use them in real life is more of a concept thing. But then the film, uh, Michael Mann really makes this shine and... You know, another part of that is also just James Caan, who is always excellent. Like, he is awesome in this. And as I said earlier, I think this is probably my favorite James Caan movie. And by that, I mean he's in The Godfather, okay? The Godfather is a better film than this, okay? But he is a supporting character in that, right? When we're looking at James Caan movies, like movies where he's kind of the focus or one of the main focuses here... Uh, I think Thief is his, just for his performance and everything, just his best work. And uh, James Conn is awesome. He is, uh, in this movie, plays Frank, as I said. He is a, um, a pretty down-to-earth guy. He does some jewel heists, but again, he has, he's been to prison before. Um, he met uh, Willie Nelson's character, Okla, there. 
and uh, Oakland's still in prison. Uh, but James Kahn got out. He started a f- couple of businesses. I think he has a bar. He has like a used car dealership. He works with Jim Belushi to do the jewel heist. Jim Belushi plays Barry. And um, and uh, Frank is just, a, he's just a, a dude. He kind of just does his job. He wants to just keep making some money until he can finally live his kind of fantasy life. And he has this little kind of uh, postcard, this little handmade postcard thing that he has of all the things he wants in his life. That once he gets them, he can finally put this behind him. And if you can't guess already, this turns into one of those stories uh, where it's like the person just wants to get out, but they need that one last gig, right? So, uh, yeah, Frank's looking for some cash. He gets an offer to do a big gig by Robert Prosky, uh, who plays Leo. Robert Prosky was actually a stage actor prior to this. He had never actually done a feature film before. I think he'd done some TV maybe or somebody had never done an actual feature film. This is Robert Brosky's first feature, and he is amazing, okay? He kind of plays the Chicago uh, kind of crime boss guy. He is awesome. Uh, he's awesome for many reasons, and I'll get back to James Conn here and, and some of the other casts in a minute, but uh, Robert Prosky is uh, one of those dudes that I've seen uh, many times before. Uh, I can't even, like, remember what else I've seen him in. Uh, Of course, he's in Thief, he's in Broadcast News, he's in Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, he's in uh, Dead Man Walking with Sean Penn. Um, You know, he's he's in a few movies, but I can't really think of a lot of them. I think he was maybe... Um... I honestly don't even remember where else I would have seen him. So the point is, uh, you know, he did quite a bit of stuff. A lot of it was TV, but this guy is a rare talent, as shown in this film. Uh, Robert Prosky is, uh, from his first gig here with Michael Mann, he was already kind of an older guy. All right? Like, I don't know. If I had to guess, maybe early 50s, this guy. And, uh, man, or maybe even later 50s. I'm not sure. But, like, dude starts late in movies. He's fucking awesome here. He has a certain demeanor about him in Thief that uh, makes him scary without him being scary at all. And what I mean by that is uh, his face and his his uh, his the way he depicts himself, he comes off like some dude that has power, but that isn't, like, what can he really do to you? You know, like, when you see him in this movie, it's like, yeah, he kind of looks like a dork. Like, you know, he's probably not that bad. And then, dude, you, like, there are certain parts of the movie where you see he has power. And it's fucking awesome, dude. Like, uh, man, I can't talk enough about Robert Prosky. And at the same time, I don't even have specific things to say. He's just one of those dudes that disappears into this role. And he is just this guy. And he's just awesome. Now, Jim Belushi is, uh, you know, uh, typical Jim Belushi. He's not really being funny, though. Uh, Whenever they're not doing heists and stuff, sometimes he has a few uh, little jokey bits. But... Uh, Jim Belushi's really awesome in this. I think he's cool. Willie Nelson's just weird in it. He plays Okla, like I said, and you first meet him whenever he's in prison, and and Frank goes to see Okla, and they're across like the the glass from each other. And uh, yeah, that's a uh, it's a weird scene because Okla is like like Willie Nelson for some reason chose to get so close to the glass, and James Caan's so close, and I can't tell if it's because they wanted to frame Willie Nelson in a certain way. 
and the camera needed to also get Frank in. So they, but they look like they're about to kiss on the glass. Like they're just so close. And you can see Willie Nelson's eyes like moving around, like looking at his face. It's like such a bizarre sequence. I love it, but it's like so weird. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Willie Nelson does uh, a fine job. I don't think he's like great or anything, but it's cool because you're like, oh shit, there's Willie. Um, but Tuesday Weld is awesome as Jesse. Uh, she is kind of the romantic counterpart to Frank because early on in the film we see Frank, uh, Frank's wife is no longer interested in being in the picture. So, uh, you know, Frank ends up hitting on Jesse and uh, they end up going out for a date, kind of. But it leads, uh, the, the kind of actually is what leads to one of the best scenes in the film because it's a, a pretty simple film in a diner. And they just have a conversation, and that conversation is fantastic. But uh, not just that scene. There's another scene later, which is the big heist of the entire film. And that scene is also great. Why? Because, again, Michael Mann doesn't montage through it. He lets us sit through it. We get to watch how it works and watch it happen. So, uh, I mean, Tuesday Weld's awesome. James Kahn, of course, I've already said is awesome. Funny enough, uh, Dennis Farina's in this. If you don't know who Dennis Farina is, uh, he was in Snatch. He was in Get Shorty. He was also in Manhunter later, which is also another Michael Mann movie. He was in Midnight Run. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. I would be actually really surprised if you didn't know who this person was. Uh, but you should just, uh, you can just uh, Google his name and he will pop up. But uh, Dennis Freen is in this. You may not ever notice that because <laughs> he uh, we're used to seeing him with gray hair and stuff. But he has like black hair and uh, it's like clearly him if you get a good look at him. But he's not like a main character. He's just kind of a, a muscle uh, in, in the movie uh, for Robert Prosky. But he's he's cool always. Um, John Satucci is a one of the thieves. So this is actually like a dude who was uh, actually in Chicago doing work as a thief. And uh, he was one of the advisors on the film. This is my understanding of this. Uh, he was one of the advisors on the film. Uh, and um, Michael Mann talks a lot about that in many interviews. There's a really great interview with Michael Mann. If you go to YouTube... Uh, you can watch Michael Mann talk about Thief. I'm going to look it up right now uh, so I can tell you exactly what to look up. I can't remember. Um, oh, here it is. It's uh, Visual Storytellers is the uh, count. And if you just type in Thief 1981, it says Michael Mann on Thief 1981, and it's by the account Visual Storytellers. That's a great one. It's like 25 minutes long, 24 minutes. And uh, Michael Mann gives a lot of really awesome information about Thief. I encourage you to kind of use that as supplemental uh, video footage for this podcast indirectly. <laughs> uh, in, in but anyways, uh, so all of this said, you know, we have uh, uh, Michael Mann doing an awesome job with his first feature. And he uses these really interesting, uh, you know, uh, colors and, and shot compositions and, uh, you know, kind of keeping it low to the street and kind of in the shit uh, and forcing us to kind of sit through these these moments that would in many other movies either just be cut or montaged. But he forces us to sit through them. And I think that actually has a really interesting effect. We also have talked about how good the cast is, especially, I mean, especially James Caan. James Caan is the highlight of this film. So James Caan's the best. And then the next tier is your Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, Jim Belushi. Oh, Robert Prosky's up there. He's the, he's the top guy, too. Those two, James Caan and Robert Prosky, are both fucking awesome. Um, and like I said before, Michael Mann used real people like John Satucci and others who... 
actually did this work, which I think is really interesting. Uh, this is just a really fun movie uh, that had an interesting uh, story related to its um, uh, soundtrack. So uh, Michael Mann wanted a, to have a soundtrack that had a very specific vibe, and for some reason he kept going back to kind of like blues or like jam bandy stuff, and he got Tangerine Dream of all bands uh, to do the soundtrack. And I had seen it before, and I forgot about Tangerine Dream. And then, because uh, they also did like the Legend soundtrack and Firestarter, they did uh, some stuff for Black uh, Black Mirror. Uh, I mean, they, they've done a bunch of work, but. Uh, Thief is uh, has a great soundtrack. Holy crap. It is really great. And I thought that hearing Tangerine Dream doing it, I was like, man, maybe I just forgot about this. Maybe it's going to be like over the top and weird. And it's not. But what's interesting about Thief is it feels like a 70s heist movie to me. Um, but definitely with like an 80s overlay. So the whole vibe of it, the way that it that it kind of sits and lets you sit with these characters, the way that it breathes, the way that it doesn't rush anything, the kind of minimalist uh, lighting and stuff, where there are areas where shit's just dark, you know, and they just like let it be dark, you know. Um, all of these things, it just it just reminds me of the '70s. Um, but you get that Tangerine Dream soundtrack that is very '80s. And it is kind of like the precursor to all of these like 80s action movies that would come out uh, because it is uh, that very specific type of 80s soundtrack. I don't know how else to kind of say that, um, but it's great. Yeah. And Tangerine Dream does a great job. And like I said, I hadn't seen it in a few years and I was like, man, I hope this soundtrack isn't like weird because uh, I just completely forgot about it. But it's awesome. Really, all you need to know is that Thief is totally worth seeing. Um, it is, uh, like I said, it's a 1981, just like an 80s. It should be a classic to me, and I hate that it's really not. It's easily a film that falls beneath the cracks, but I've been doing an 80s marathon recently, which this counts toward, um, as I've mentioned all the movies, and this is by far one of the best films, I think, that has been in that whole thing. This um, definitely falls between like a four and a four and a half, uh, on a five-star rating scale, if you're interested in that. I did give it a four um, this time around, but, I, man, next time I watch it, it could be a four and a half. It really just depends on the day. I mean, it is really on that cusp of being that good. Uh, so it's it's really great. Go check out Thief. Definitely see if you can find it on Pluto TV or Tubi. And uh, with all of that said and done, I am going to take a quick break and come back with Joe. And we're going to talk about Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. All right. It is James Conn celebration day today. I'm here with Joe Shearer. Say hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. How are you? Oh, wait. Oh, God. I'm Joe. You're making this day worse, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do something to, you know, just to screw somehow. Yeah, screw yeah, yeah. Just, just to screw somehow. That was yours. No, uh, we're, we're, we're <laughs> exactly my point. <laughs> we're here today to talk about James Con, and um, you know, uh, before we we started rolling, I, I told you you needed to see Thief, and you're like, I know you can heckle me about it today, and yeah. I'm not going to heckle you about it because you know what? A lot of people haven't seen this movie, and it yeah. really is upsetting because I actually think it might be the greatest James Conn performance I've ever seen, let alone one of his best movies. Now, the movie we're going to talk about here in a moment, The Godfather from 1972, the old, like, just the 
ultimate classic, right? It's just one of those right. movies. Uh, this is probably the best film he was ever in, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean it was his best film. If you get my differentiation not, with not the... Not Bulletproof? Uh, I mean, it's like one, two, it's Bulletproof. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, maybe some Elf, maybe some uh, Bottle Rocket. You know, he's in a lot of random stuff, but yeah. even, even, even stuff like that, especially something like Bottle Rocket, he's only in it at the end. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he's not really in it that much. So it's like thinking of of these movies. I think Thief is great, but I've already talked about that on this episode. What we're here to talk about is The Godfather. Yeah, and this is listen. We're gonna spoil the shit out of this. I'm sure. If you haven't seen this, this is on you. It's uh, written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, based on a book by Mario Puzo, which I believe helped with the writing as well. Mm-hmm. The cast is far too extensive to mention, but I'll at least throw all the the main names. Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, which is the purpose of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Castellano, Robert Duvall, Sterling Hayden, John Marley, who I added on here uh, because he is in the John Cassavetes film Faces, which is just the greatest. Um, Diane Keaton, just so many people in this thing. Okay, yeah. uh, It was released March 24th, yeah. 1972. With a budget of six million dollars, six to seven point two million, depending on what sources you read. Box office was two hundred and fifty to two hundred and ninety million, which forty million dollars is a big difference. However, major success, Joe. Mm-hmm. Major success. Yes. Uh mm-hmm. this is not streaming anywhere right now, but it is for rent like everywhere. So if anybody has not seen this, what are you doing? It is surprisingly three hours long, which I completely forgot about. I thought this was a solid two, yeah. and I thought part two yeah. was super fucking long. Um, but uh-huh. this one is a solid three hours almost. Okay, it, it, it's it's a weird thing where you look at it and you go, "My God, this movie's going to go on forever," and then it somehow is done, and you're like, "Wow," you know. It it's just one of those movies you get lost in, and you just go, and it just and you're just you're so engrossed in everything that that you don't care how long it is. I agree. Yeah. And it's the same. It's 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 like uh, for me, I'm not speaking for anyone else, but for me, it's like Scorsese's Casino yeah, uh, or Goodfellas. But that's not that long. Yeah. Uh, but Casino is like literally 180 minutes or something. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like it yeah. flies by so fast. I just I never know. Yeah. So The Godfather, for those uh, for those uh, weird folks that haven't seen this movie. Uh, it spans the years from 1945 to 1955, a chronicle of the fictional Italian-American Corleone crime family. When organized crime family patriarch Vito Corleone barely survives an attempt on his life, his youngest son, Michael, steps in to take care of the would-be killers, launching a campaign of bloody revenge. <laughs> Joe, how does one sum up a classic like The Godfather? You try. <laughs> I mean, geez. I mean, how do you? I mean, it's, it's, you know, arguably the greatest film ever made. You know, it's, it certainly is. It's certainly a, a top 10 on almost anyone's, anyone of notes list. Anyone of credibility would have it on the top 10 of best films of all time. Um, and, and most likely top five, you know? Um, so yeah, it is, my God, it's a great movie. It's, you know, it's certainly the greatest mob movie ever made, if you're going to categorize them. Uh, it's a great drama with an amazing cast. And it, you know, it's imminently watchable, too, I feel like, it, you know, it, for, you know, for for a lot of people, for the masses, when you when you get up there and you're like, these are the greatest movies of all time. And it's, you know, it's stuff like Citizen Kane and The Seventh Seal and, you know, like crazy older stuff that's, 
you know, that you watch and it's just like, how am I going to sit here and watch this movie that, you know, is two people walking around talk, you know, and it's like, like, and I love great film like anybody else, but when you're talking about the masses, it's like, it's hard to justify that for some people that for your average movie goer who likes all the blockbusters, you know, and, and this one is one that spans every, you know, it spans every kind of category you want to talk every demographic you want to talk about anybody could watch this and love it my kids could probably sit and watch it and love it you know i mean obviously not everybody's kids but anybody who's an adult who likes movies in any way can watch this movie and 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 enjoy it i think on some level yeah dude it's i remember seeing this as a kid on tv i remember the horse head Mm -hmm. yeah you know and that was so scary Uh uh-huh god anyways (laughs) yeah it's um Dude, the, yeah, The Godfather, I was thinking about this today, and I legit, I mean, dude, I love a lot of gangster movies. I love Goodfellas and mm-hmm. Casino, which I already brought up. Yeah. I love, uh, I mean, what what the fuck else do I love? Uh, there are so <laughs> many. I like, I mean, just to name another uh-huh. uh, Scorsese, I even love The Irishman. Uh-huh. Uh, but there, there are so many gangster movies that I really love. Yeah. I don't know why they're escaping me right now, but it's just a genre that I really, really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Even things that are kind of peripherally mm-hmm. gangster related. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. like, for example, uh, something like um, uh, Uncut Gems. It's not yes. a gangster movie by I- I- any means, by right. any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But it has this kind of weird, scummy... There mm-hmm. is some crime syndicate out there trying to hunt this guy down because he owes him money kind of vibe. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> like anything, even the the most remote peripheral movie that would even be close to it, I generally yeah. can find some level of entertainment with, even yeah. if it's something like Donnie Brasco. Right. You know I mean, yeah. like whatever it is, I'm just Carlito's I way. I mean, these, these are not yeah. necessarily movies we're going to call the on the level of The Godfather, but you know, not at all, not at all. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think Goodfellas is uh, certainly in the contenders of best films of the 90s, period. It might be number one. It came out in 1990. And even that, I don't think is as good as this. I think The Godfather is perfect. So I want everyone to know that right now. It is perfect. Mm -hmm. And some people will actually criticize The Godfather for being a a, a bit too gangster-y. You know what I mean? Like it almost like devolves into this... uh, kind of like gangstery movie and that the second one yeah. is the superior which i do think the second film is a better film however uh this one if i'm looking at the genre of gangster movie though i prefer yeah. this to the second one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like uh, like yeah. this is just so great it's yeah. the greatest so i want to talk about a few things with you joe and i'll, I'll kind of lead us through this here um and you know i want to talk a little bit about the iconic score i want to talk about cinematography by gordon willis mm-hmm. talking about the cast of course um, but I want to talk about something a bit more, I don't know, outside uh, the norm whenever you're talking about The Godfather. Okay. It was something I noticed when I was watching it earlier. Uh, even like the pop culture kind of quotable lines of The Godfather, you know, mm-hmm. when you look beyond them are kind of incredible. Like, yeah. like think of, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. Now, people... Mm-hmm. We'll say this line. It's it's infinitely quotable whenever you want to, like, try to talk someone into doing something. Absolutely. Uh, people joke about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's just, just a lot. There's just a lot you can do with that. But here's the thing. When you look at it in context, God damn, does it not tell the story for you? Just that yeah. one line. You learn a whole bunch about the Corleone family, mm-hmm. how Vito Corleone yeah. uh, presents himself as this kind of 
uh, logical, reasonable crime mob boss. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. then he'll say something like, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. And you know the extent to what to which he will go. Yeah. And it it's just that classic gangster thing where you have a character that seems like type A, and mm-hmm. but they do things like type B, and it's almost a cognitive dissonance. It's like Vito Corleone seems like a, a pretty decent guy. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, he yeah. just wants to hang out at his daughter's wedding. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He just wants to sit down with all the mob bosses in the different uh, territories or whatever, yeah. and uh, he wants to talk it out, right? Mm-hmm. But then he's also not above sending someone to cut off a horse's head and put it in some dude's bed. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And you, you, you learn that at the beginning. With what line? I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. This mm-hmm. is the greatness of of this movie, just one example, Mm -hmm. right. Of how just kind of perfect it is. But I want to talk with you uh, and I I want you to kind of let me know. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, do you, is there anything to start here? Is there Mm -hmm. anything in the Godfather that stands out to you? Yeah. Good Mm -hmm. or bad, you know, that you're just like, fuck, like when I think of this movie, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's weird. <laughs> Here's what's weird about this movie. When I think of, when I think of the Godfather, I kind of think about the line from Anchorman about uh, what is it like rich mahogany? <laughs> like this movie looks like seventies wood panel, not, not cheap wood paneling, but like, you know, their house is very nice and luxurious, but it still has this very weird seventies look. And that's the first thing that pops into my head is how brown the movie is, it, you know, especially when they're inside. It's it's all this brown. But, you know, you talk but you talk about the writing the writing. My God is so good. Um, you know, and you talk about you talk about that line, um, just the, you know, make him an offer. You can't refuse line. It, it's sort of a moment of levity and it's a joke, but there's also a little bit of foreboding to it as well, you know, because, you know, like this is some shit that can happen, you know, and uh, it, it just it extends throughout the film uh and and i think that's the other thing is just all of these moments that they have and these kind of wildly different differing kind of moments too they're you know there's there's some really nice like you know michael and Kay, like their love story is really nice and it kind of like disintegrates you know and, and obviously through the films it's it changes and it's you know and it's contentious and it's bad but at first it's so it's really nice and sweet and you're like this is such a such a strange little bit to be in a movie like this. And and it's done so well. And you know, of course, Michael, of course, doesn't want to be part of the the family. He's trying to do his own thing. He's coming back from the army. And you know, the basically the family's like, hey, you're in this. And he's like, No, out, out. And they're like, Yeah, you know. But dude, but let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. Just real quick. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love I want to talk about Michael and Kay real quick, which ties into what you just said, getting into the family business. Mm-hmm. We meet Michael by Vito about to take a family picture. And he goes, where's Michael? We're not taking this picture without Michael. And it cuts to Michael sitting with Kay. Yeah. And they're sitting there talking. And eventually the, uh, the um, what do you call it? The, not lounge singer, but the crooner. Yeah. I forget his name off the top. Johnny something. Johnny Fontaine. Yeah, Johnny Fontaine. Thank you. Yeah. And Johnny Fontaine, you know, uh, walks in and. Kay's just like, oh, my God, you didn't tell me your family knows Johnny Fontaine. He's like, oh, yeah, my dad's is is a godfather. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a scene with them before the Johnny Fontaine thing. But the second scene, I think it is, is the Johnny Fontaine. Yeah. 
And uh, he goes, yeah, my father helped him with his career. And of course, Kay, like any, per, like just the audience, is just like, how did he help? You know? And yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, he just like, you know, helped him get out of a, a kind of a raw deal, you know? Mm-hmm. And how did he get? Like, she's just asking these kind of like convenient questions, but they're also logical questions. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't feel forced to me as I'm watching it, like they're trying to do some exposition. But yeah. uh, in reality, it's just ready for him to introduce the line he offered him in line or uh, an offer he can't refuse by telling the story of Johnny and how Vito basically said, Hey, I'll give you 10 grand to let him out of his deal. The guy said, no, Mm -hmm. he went with, uh, um, Oh my God. Why am I forgetting the name? Uh, It's my Luca Brasi. That's my favorite name. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the whole thing. And I just forgot Luca fucking Brazzi. <laughs> Anyways. So uh, Luca and, and Vito go here and you don't see this, of course, but Luca and Vito go back to this guy, this uh, band leader or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, they make him an offer he can't refuse. Uh-huh. And Kay says, well, what was that? <laughs> he just keeps asking. Uh-huh. And Michael goes, well, they put a gun to his head and said, either your brains are going to hit this contract or, or you're going to sign it or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Of course they do this a billion times better than me, yeah. but man, it is, I mean, what a great scene. So then mm-hmm. he looks at Kay and he goes, this is my family, Kay, mm-hmm. but I'm not like them. Yeah. Right. Again, I'm paraphrasing. This is so mm-hmm. key. This is really important. Mm-hmm. I'm not like them. I don't want to be a part of this. He's still in his like, his uh, military uniform. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Which is a differentiation. You're learning these things. His whole demeanor is yeah. different. Yeah. It's idealistic days. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then you see Vito Corleone get shot. Mm. Now, I am not a violent man. Mm. I have no desire to be violent. I actually, I will go to the furthest extents to avoid violence. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty passive uh, in, in terms of aggression, right? Right. Uh, if there's anything that would make me violent, mm-hmm. it would probably be to hurt my wife or my child. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Someone super close to you that you love. Yeah. You know, same thing with you. If anybody hurt your children, you're right. not a violent person, Joe, mm-hmm. but you'd probably want to beat their brain in with, with the baseball right. bat, right? I'm yeah. not saying you would, but like... Were that offer presented to you, maybe like you never know what you'd do. I'd like to think I wouldn't, but maybe right. I don't know. But if there was anything, it'd be that. So what is it that sets off Michael to help the family again? Mm-hmm. And even when it happens, he's not ready to, but he gets talked into it. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. his father nearly being murdered mm-hmm. and the idea that he doesn't know if his father's going to live. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That's fucking great. Yeah. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be any more complicated than that, Joe? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's the fucking greatest shit ever. <laughs> so anyways, like, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, like that is the story. And then yeah. no one in any of the competing bo- like crime families ha- think that uh, Michael is even a threat. He's a neutral presence. He's not a part of the family. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows he was a soldier. Mm-hmm. And even in that, in the opening sequence, someone comes to Vito Corleone uh, trying to talk with him to uh, get him to do something the day of his daughter's wedding, which is a line we hear a lot. Yeah. And um, it's like the very opening scene. And 
Oh, fuck. I already forgot it. What was I going to say? Um, <laughs> ah, I just lost it. Anyways, the, but the, the, the people come to him and they ask him for favors. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what was I just saying? Fuck, Joe. <laughs> I don't know. You were rambling about some shit. Shut up, good. dude. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. The point is, the point is, I don't know what the point is, but the point is, <laughs> I just took everyone. I should edit this out, but I'm not going to. But the point is, uh, it's just perfect. That's, yeah. that's, that's the fucking thing. Uh-huh. All right. I can't believe I just forgot that mid sentence. Yeah. Uh, whatever my brain's doing. But it's perfect. Yeah. And and what you said with with the uh, like the K relationship and then moving into this idea of him being involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is is great. Oh, oh, that's what it was. So whenever he's giving out these these favors, there's a point at the very beginning where the guy goes like, I try to be a good American. Mm-hmm. I go to the police when I have a problem. I try to be a good American. I do X. Yes. I do Y. Talking about being a good American, right? Mm-hmm. In nineteen forties America, what is being a good American? You fight for your country. Right. He represents neutrality. He represents good. Yes. Michael Corleone does. Uh-huh. Even though in nineteen seventy two, that is not how it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean in nineteen forty five it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad I I'm glad I recalled that because that's like that's the point, right? Yeah. It's uh-huh. so I mean, these are the little things that Francis Ford Coppola did to create this story mm-hmm. um intentionally. And I'll say this about the writing real quick since you brought it up again. Whenever he was writing this, he actually took the book of The Godfather, the Mario Puzo book, mm-hmm. and he ripped out every page and he put it in a bigger kind of like almost like a it's not a um, like craft book or something, mm-hmm. but like yeah. like a big photo album. So the page yeah. is just like in the middle and then there's inches on each side. And he would he did this with every fucking page of this book. It's like 300 pages or whatever. Yeah. And then he read every one and he was underlining stuff and he was writing notes in the margins to the side that he made mm-hmm. because he wanted to really do this book justice. You know what I mean? But yeah. also he realized what was great about this book and he wanted to annotate everything so that he knew what he could pull from and what he could leave. Yeah. And just anybody with that level of dedication. I mean, that's some Kubrick shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying Kubrick did that, but I'm just saying that level of uh, obsession over making this Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you nailed it. I was rambling a lot, but the point is, uh, I love this movie a lot. There's too much to say. Before right. we went on the air, I told you that uh, there's too much to say. We're never even going to do this justice, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but the writing is fucking great. What yeah. do you think about like the score, though? Because we have yeah. this iconic score, and I feel like sometimes it's just played for either humor mm-hmm. or it's played as just like a pop culture hit. But yeah. like, how do you genuinely feel about the score? I mean, it it has such a... I mean, it, well, it it just has such a presence in the film, too, you know, just to start. It's, you know, the, and like you said, there's, there's that pop culture element. There's a thing where people just, like, listen to it. And, and it's it's so, like, slow, and it, there's, like, this sadness to it in a way. But it's also not, you know, it's, it's so different than most, you know, if you think about what are the great scores of all time, it's certainly in the conversation. But, you know, you think of something like, large and swelling you know and and triumphant you know think like star wars and you know big you know kind of big things like that but this movie it's it's kind of a small little bit right like it's 
it's big and iconic, but this, the music itself is small and it's not a huge orchestra kind of thing. It's like just a couple of instruments and, and it, it is a little understated in a way. Yeah. Um, but, but it also has such power that it's, it's just, it's this bizarre and haunting kind of experience in a movie this big, that score just is there and being there, you know, the, the way that it's placed makes it so iconic. It's, it, you know, it, it's incredible. It's, it's a, such a, it's really like a testament to the power of music in a film. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny that, that Coppola even went so far as to hire kind of an iconic mm-hmm. Italian uh, composer. Yeah. Because Nino Rada, who's the Aroda, maybe it is Nino Rada, I'll say, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, Italian. He worked mm-hmm. with people like Fellini, for example, which is uh, a big deal. And he worked on more than just one movie. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he worked with Fellini multiple times. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of shit. But I mean, like literally right before The Godfather, he was with Fellini when he did Roma, which is his 1972 film. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just I'm looking through right now and it's like, holy shit, there's a lot of Fellini on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy did eight and a half. Get the fuck out of here. This is crazy. <laughs> uh, you, you know, know what I mean? Yeah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Dude, I'll, I'll kill you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyways, I mean, I'm being um, facetious, obviously, but no, yeah. no, he's uh, it, but it's gr- like what what a score. Uh-huh. I'm so I, and dude, listen. I, when I when I watched it this time, I was really trying hard because uh, I even I told you before when I was eating before we did this, I actually put it on just to kind of like hit some key scenes, just yeah. to to remind myself. In the very opening, it's just a black screen and that music, yeah, da, 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 da. and and it just does that over and over that violin or whatever it is, you know, yeah. cello, whatever, and. Uh, then then it just cuts into dialogue i yeah. love movies like that too don't you yeah have, yeah have you it's... seen michael clayton dude yes yeah you know the opening of that mm-hmm. when wilkinson is just like going the fuck off about some shit that sounds like some conspiracy or something yes. like some crazy shit uh-huh. and it just starts you don't know what's going on right we've talked about this before but i'm just saying like you don't know what the fuck's going on yeah. it's just like yeah. shit's happening right if you heard um, give it it's sort of like a tarantino open a lot of a lot, tarantino does that kind of stuff a lot it just jumps sort of in the middle of a conversation right yeah I, yeah i mean uh, reservoir dogs right yeah. they're all sitting in a diner mm-hmm. and they're talking about like madonna you know what i mean right um so like this this isn't that crazy but it's like you just hop in and i love that it doesn't insult anyone's intelligence you don't need to know what's going on it's a close-up of a guy in shadows mostly you don't know who this fucker is you have this amber hued quality to the whole film yeah right and he's just sitting there and he's just talking about the bad shit these two dudes did to his daughter right and it's like the fuck is going on? Yeah. And then what does Vito Corleone say? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you come to me in the first place? Why'd you yeah. go to the cops? Yeah. Man, now we're really starting to figure out what the fuck's going on with these characters. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, just like every line, dude. I just could. Gu- I am already gushing about it, but the point is, like, uh, that score though, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels r- like it's the audible equivalent to rustic. Yeah. <laughs> you understand yes. what I'm saying? Yeah. There's just yeah. something so simple mm-hmm. and perfect about it. God yeah. damn, you're getting me fired up. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh so iconic score. I mean I mean what what can you say? Yeah. It's just it's just perfect. And the music mm-hmm. in general. I mean, dude, whenever they're at the wedding and there are those sequences out in the party, 
mm-hmm. uh, like or the reception rather. And uh, that's when like Johnny Fontaine comes in. But there's a point where Mama v- uh, Corleone, I forget mm-hmm. her name, but the 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 mom, like uh, Vito's yeah. wife, mm-hmm. she gets up and she starts singing. And I just remember looking at her on screen. I'm like, she is perfect. Mm-hmm. She's not a model. Right, like they didn't try to cast some major star. Yeah, she's just some person I've never seen before. She looks as quintessential Italian as you've ever seen, mm-hmm. and she is a perfect performer. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, I'm worked up. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the cinematography though, because you brought this up. The uh-huh. whole film is yellowed. Yeah, basically, at uh-huh. least on the inside, but pretty much across the board, it's almost an- antique. If you get my drift. Yeah, yeah. It's like an antique hue to it, which I think is the whole purpose. But uh, Gordon Willis did this. Now, we've talked about Gordon Willis before. When did we do that? Well, we talked about him during Annie Hall. Um, I have talked about him on the show whenever I talked about Zelig and Broadway Danny Rose. He also did The Godfather Part 2. He did a bunch of Woody Allen stuff. I mean, most of it, I feel like. Um, Dude's done a, I mean, like a crazy amount of stuff. I actually want to look up. Uh, more of his stuff here um as a cinematographer oh wait no this is yeah yeah okay uh so he did uh let me look here let me look here let me look here he did clute i knew that and i don't know if anybody's not seen clute but that movie's awesome uh, he did the parent <laughs> he did the parallax view uh-huh. he did the dr- the drowning pool which i'll just bring up because isn't that the dirty harry movie that's the deadpool <laughs> oh that's wait the, the deadpool no 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 you're right you're right drowning no, 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 pool the dr- is, the, is uh let the bodies hit the floor yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was a good joke i actually it wasn't but it like was because it caught me off guard i right, actually like, yeah. really laughed at that it's a paul newman movie uh-huh. i just completely i called the <laughs> that was a good joke i like that um, i mean it's just uh, true <laughs> yeah all, all the president's men which i love i think we talked about that great on the movie. show i can't remember yeah, but absolutely. uh that one's fucking great uh, i mean this dude did a, a bunch of awesome stuff here yeah. um Purple Rose of Cairo, again, another Woody Allen movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of great stuff. So anyways, uh, he does this movie, and uh, they try to do as much natural lighting as possible. And yeah. and uh, and even whenever they are lighting things, they're trying to replicate natural light. Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. When I saw Clute, if you watch any of the movies I mentioned, they all do this exact same thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, trying to either replicate or capture that authenticity. Right. This kind of lighting. Don't draw attention to it. Just be right. Yes. And I think I think Gordon Willis may have just outdone himself with the Godfather. Clute looks fucking great. Yeah. By the way. But the Godfather. It's one of those movies that I think looks timeless because it's just stylized enough. Right. But it's not overdone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you think about the the visuals here, what are the mm-hmm. scenes that come to mind? Because we already talked about the the yellow hue kind yeah. of to everything, that antique hue. But yeah. like uh, the visuals, not just the the lighting, not just the color. Right. Like when you think of that, is are there any things that you specifically remember? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things, and and some of it is. Uh, you know, cinematography type stuff and some is direction type stuff, but it, it all fits together so seamlessly. It's sure you know, that that use, like you said, that use of shadow. You know, and you you look at and how you know Marlon Brando is as you know uh, Don Vito Corleone. He is kind of in darkness a lot. You know, there's part of him at least is in darkness a lot, 
And there's a lot, of, yeah, there's a lot of the kind of backlighting and things like that. That's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. And it, and it gives us this, this certain feel like a subdued sort of feel um, and for a lot of the movie, but uh, you know, then you look at other parts of it and it's, you know, and there's, it's always got a little bit of, like you said, it's got that kind of a sheen to it, but the lighting obviously, it, you know, had, there's a lot of kind of nuance to it. And then you think about sort of the, I think the way that they play with space and time in the movie is a, is a kind of a big part of it is how shots just linger a lot of times, you know, and, and talk about that opening shot where you're just kind of seeing Brando's face and it, it just sits there for a long time. And, and it stands out a lot today because of course, today's filmmaking style is a lot of quick cuts and, but they just, there are so many shots that just linger for, for such a long amount of time, just the kind of the patience they show, even in the, in things like um, the, the scene later on where, where Michael is, you know, where Michael has to kill some of the, you know, has to kill all the gangsters in the, the diner. And it's just a lot of kind of space. There's a lot of people sitting there not talking or, you know, there's long pauses between, you know, you know, there's a, a question. There's one person says something and Michael kind of sits there for a while without answering. And there's just a lot of that. And so, the, and just this, this strange energy. And then, you know, if, if we want to which I just realized a minute ago, we haven't even mentioned the man of the hour. We want to talk about James Kahn and, you know, his performance in this movie is a whole different energy than the rest of it. He's so, his character is so impatient and he's kind of the blunt instrument of the, of the uh, family. If, if you forgive the James Bond reference, but he's, he's hot headed and he's quick to act. And so he moves kind of at a different speed than everyone else almost. And everyone's trying to slow him down. And it's kind of, it, it really stands out in the film how he he's just so hot-headed and, and running running about and and wanting to act fast and everyone else is like you know we're very patient and measured and it it just brings this whole dynamic you know and that that works visually and you know as i said and then from an audio perspective as well but it it makes the whole movie have this certain kind of calm to it um and and then that calm turns into tension of course as they start leading into to the action sequence man do you know what's so great about these characters because i'll we'll just go into that because you yeah. just brought up uh james con here uh-huh. and yeah uh, and and i'll keep talking about visuals as we go i'm sure mm-hmm. uh i mean the the when james when when sunny james con's character when when he gets shot down yeah i mean come on what a what a crazy yeah he almost gets shot as many times as bonnie and clyde from the <laughs> right. 60s movie jesus yeah he gets unloaded so and, anyways but there's this weird this it's this weird moment too where because you you through the throughout the movie you're not really um guided to like him you know that the, the no. he he clashes with just about everyone in the family at one point and um he's you know everyone's constantly like slow down slow down he's like dude you're gonna get killed at some point and then he does and it's it's still sort of this heartbreaking moment and and it's it goes to that back to the like that theme of family of the family and and you know, even though well, he, he's like this bastard, it's like he's he's kind of our bastard at that point, And we don't you know, want to see him go. You know, it, it, the characters are so great for exactly what you're saying here. Yeah. Look, look at each character. First off, you have the daughter played by Talia Shire, who gets married at the beginning. Yeah. And because of what happens to her husband later, mm-hmm. uh, she's a completely unreliable sibling. Yeah. Uh, Fredo. Mm hmm. Too, he would be considered by the family too weak 
mm-hmm. to do. He's too soft. He's like his mother, right? Quote unquote. Yeah. I'm air quotes. Yeah. Uh, he can't run the family. Michael's not interested in running the family, mm-hmm. but he's the most like his father, which is exactly why he doesn't want to run the family. Yes. And then you have Sonny, the only one who wants a piece, mm-hmm. the only one who actually wants to get his hands dirty and do the work. Yeah. But he's the hot-headed, impulsive one who, much like you know, some uh, son of a legendary filmmaker who wants to make movies himself. No, nah, Dad, we just have to like evolve with the times. We gotta, you know, we gotta be today. Yeah. And the the veterans just like, if you just listen to me, I could help. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. um, you don't need this scene because it's cool. Like, cut it. It'd be cooler overall if you do that. No, Dad, this is like so cool. Right. Yeah. And that's very much like the Sunny thing. Every time something happens, you have Sunny. Now, Tom, there, the uh, consigliere, or however you say that. Yeah. He is. Uh, he is Jewish. He's Jewish Irish. He's an Irish Jew, or however you say. I don't know how. I remember how they say it in the movie. Yeah. I think he calls himself an Irish Jew at one point or something. Yeah. But anyways, um, but he's Jewish. He's Irish, and uh, he can't lead the family. So the actual only guy that would actually have the temperament to do it can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. I mean, is this not the greatest already? <laughs> like, because, yeah. because again, Michael has to do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. His brother's dead. Yeah. His father's dying, may die. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He has to do it. He has to walk into that, that Italian restaurant. Yep. And shoot everybody. He's got got to step up. Yeah. It is the fucking greatest, Joe. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) If I haven't said that already, it's so great. I mean, this is definitely. And what's funny is, like, I'd have to really think about this to know if this is actually proper (laughs) in my personal top 10. That's how good the movies would have to be. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Anyways. So, like, (laughs) like these these characters, though, let's talk about James Conn since you brought him up. here. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think this is necessarily his best role, but he's fucking perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about this guy? You already talked yeah, about him a little bit, but why? He's, like, yeah, why he's, is he so he's, good? Well, well, he's a he's a son of a bitch. You know, like the character is is you know he's he's violent. He slaps around some women throughout the course of the film. You know, he's he's just a, he's a bastard. He cheats he wants, in yeah, the bathroom. Yeah, he wants to kill people like. He, you know, he takes pride in his job. He's right there. But at the same time, it's, you know, he's got that loyalty. He's the right hand man. And like you said, even though it creates that dynamic of it's, it's not, I don't know that I call it a, I guess it is a power struggle to a degree, but it's not that they're looking to like back cut it, you know, undercut each other or backdoor each other. They just all want to be, you know, they, they all know that he's not the right one to lead because they'd be going to war all the time and there wouldn't be any family left, but um, but at the same time, he's an important part of the family. So um, it, it's, you know, his his muscle has a role, but it's not, the, you know, it's not the leadership role that that he might think it it should be. So, yeah, and and it's it's just great to see, especially he, you know, James Con and, and Duvall. Those scenes are their scenes together are really great because Duvall is so really great. Yeah, he's so calm in this movie, and and kind of even tempered. Trying to kind of counteract him, so it's uh yeah, but his yeah his his uh Duval's presence is really fun compared to James Conn's because James Conn is like let's just let's just go kill everybody and he's like no now listen you can't do that. But they also like he also justifies it. 
dad, yeah. we got to strike first or we'll appear weak or whatever, whatever the things he says. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's also like really important to the writing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you bring up um, Duvall, mm-hmm. which we all know is great. And they go, they go, he goes to visit John Marley, who is plays uh, Jack Waltz. Mm-hmm. Film producer has a big war movie coming up, uh, has a perfect role. <laughs> For for Johnny, okay, uh-huh. the the uh, uh, Johnny Fontaine, the singer, yeah. has a perfect role. Johnny Fontaine feels like his career's starting to kind of fizzle out a bit. He really needs something to like spark mm-hmm. it back up. But because of a past that they have, uh, Jack Waltz won't let him in. Yeah. So who does he send? Who does uh, Vito send? He mm-hmm. sends Robert DeVault's jo- Tom. Yeah. Tom Hagen. Dude. Uh, the reserve that he shows when Waltz is just yelling <laughs> at him at the dinner table and stuff. Yeah. And he just goes, this was a really pleasant dinner. I really like appreciate uh-huh. your hospitality. Could one of your drivers take me to the airport? And Waltz just like looks at him weird. And he's like, Mr. Corleone or Don Corleone or whatever. Mm-hmm. He prefers to hear bad news immediately. And it's yeah. just, dude, the fucking intimidation. Yeah. His incredibly passive lines Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah he holds a power Mm -hmm. it's like it's like don corleone is like the gun because it can actually get shit done yeah but like tom knows how to fucking wield it you know what i'm saying yep oh my god is this movie great such a such a great yeah yeah, his yeah, and it's it's just all of these elements are just just fit together so perfectly. It's just it's the epitome of coolness in a in a movie, and it you know and it's it's coolness in a different way that you know we talked about traditional gangster movies and how you know like these are these guys that are dapper and they have these suits and these fedoras and they're Tommy guns and shit and it's like you know and they you know and they talk like you know humphrey bogart or you know whatever they talk <laughs> like they're you know yeah. they talk like like you know your your typical uh, humphrey bogart's not the right answer i don't think but it's not the right analogy to make but he's you know they they talk like 30s you know mobster dudes and it's like you know I, either they way see... they're like this really exa- even yeah. if they don't they're like this exaggerated new york yeah you know what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. all those like uh, the Gabagool, yeah, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's the thing. Yeah. 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 But they, but they, they're, yeah, they're not, I don't even know. I'm trying to think off the top of my, I mean, obviously, you know, Brando's accent is, you know, very distinctive, but a lot of them, you know, you know, Tom Hagen, Duval's Tom Hagen and, and uh, uh, Pacino as, as Michael, they, they don't have, an accent so to speak you know it's- which is a great separation of michael yeah, yeah. From, because he's been away mm-hmm. you know um and all i i think that's really important of course mm-hmm. even though uh devall's tom was raised with them yeah. uh he was a part of a different world and that's how corleone wanted him to be yeah so he yeah. could be this guy that was like separate, but also with them right yeah so there's absolutely. even a point where he says i have my own private practice and i have one one client yeah <laughs> and it's like right. even that line is intimidating you yeah. know what i mean because it's uh-huh. just like no i work for a guy that can actually afford to pay me a living wage yeah alone yeah. like more, more than know? a living wage um, <laughs> well i know but i mean like the yeah. implication uh-huh. to someone who doesn't even know who corleone is right right um like when he talks to waltz and he doesn't tell him he works for don corleone yeah um man it's just great to, to talk about another guy here uh we have john Cazali. Mm-hmm. who was in five films before, uh, I believe it was Cancer that took him. 
Yeah. And uh, his first feature film was The Fucking Godfather, dude. Yeah. And we've talked about him before, but I'm going to say this again because I feel like it's been like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, he did The Conversation after this. Yeah. Uh, again with Coppola. He did The Godfather Part Two, same mm-hmm. year, again mm-hmm. with Coppola. Then he works with fucking, uh, um, not Sergio Leone. Why did that come to my mind? Uh, <laughs> fucking Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, Sidney Lumet. Yeah. With Dog uh-huh. Day Afternoon, which is a fucking great movie. Holy yes. shit. I can't wait. Maybe for like Al Pacino's uh, something related to him. I'll do like Glengarry Glenn Ross and uh-huh. uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Those would be my two uh-huh. probably. Anyways, it's so great. If you, listen, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Dog Day Afternoon, what are you waiting for? Right, exactly oh, right. Oh, man, it's so great. And then he did, his last film was The Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. With Michael Cimino. Dude, yeah. what, what? who has a fucking better filmography? People have 60 movies, 130 movies on their thing, and yeah. who's is, like, better than this? Other right, than, yeah. like, like uh, De Niro or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, he has uh, eight, and every one of them is... Is sort of an all-time classic, you know. I mean, eight, yeah. he's got eight credits, and that's including, um, you know, uh, an appearance in an episode of NYPD, a TV series from 1968, and then another is a, sh- a short called The American Way. So yeah, it's like The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two, <laughs> Dog Day Afternoon. Another one is um, The Godfather Saga, which I'm assuming is the, um, yeah, it's just like the TV restoration of editing Godfather and Godfather Two together in '77. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, every one of his movies are all timers. They're not even. It's not even something where it's like, oh yeah, he made a bunch of good. A lot of people made a bunch of good movies. You know, it's like all he did were make all time classics. That's it. Seventies. Yeah. He has what? He's one hundred for one hundred. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. just dude is like off the charts, and he's incredible in all of these. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. he you know he really shines in particular in part two. Uh, where there are full parts of Godfather Part Two that surround him. Yeah. In the first movie, he's just the fuck up brother. In the conversation, he's the psychic to Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see him in in The Deer Hunter. And if I remember correctly, because I haven't seen that in a while, I'm pretty sure Stan is the guy that can't go to war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. like, like he, like, there's something with him that he actually is just not allowed uh, right. to go to war. When everyone else does. So he's that guy. But it's just like, dude, this guy's so, so awesome. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, Talia Shire, most people would know her from uh, Rocky. Yep. Abe Vigoda, I grew up knowing who that dude was for like no reason. Like right. I, he was like a household <laughs> name to me. Uh-huh. And I'd never seen The Godfather. And yeah. to be honest, I don't even remember why I know him. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually looking through his uh, his filmography right now. Maybe it was like the Rockford Files. Like I like legit don't remember why I even knew yeah, him. Everybody knows Abe Vigoda, but nobody really knows why. It seems like yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. It's uh-huh. it's a weird thing. But I mean, this movie has so 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 many people. Of course, Sterling Hayden is going to be uh, one of my next two tattoos from Kubrick movies because uh-huh. he was in uh, both Doctor Strangelove and. Um, uh, the killing, which is what I would be doing, where he puts a clown mask on yeah. to uh, basically pull off a caper on a bookie. Yeah. And uh, just the fucking greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sterling Hayden is awesome. He is so great in this. 
And this is at a point where people kind of stopped giving a shit about Sterling Hayden and he was just kind of a nobody. Yeah. After this, he did uh, The Long Goodbye, which is a uh, Robert Altman movie, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just great. But um, but he did this, uh, The Godfather, and he's just some like he's like in it barely. He's in the spaghetti scene. He gets shot in the neck. Mm-hmm. You know what right. I mean? Like that's like this. That's all he does in this yeah. movie. It's the way he eats at the table. <laughs> it's yes. the way he looks at people. Uh-huh. I think Sterling Hayden is incredible. Yeah. And I think he's so good in this. But let's talk about not the man of the hour, but uh, the the one of the actors of that century, Marlon Brando. Yeah. And what kind of fun stories could we talk about this guy? Well, we're going to there's too many to name. But yeah, um, I remember hearing a story from Francis Ford Coppola in an interview mm-hmm. where he went to see Brando to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And apparently one of the times he went to see him. He went to the bathroom, uh, Brando did, and he comes out and he put like toilet paper or something in his cheeks and he just starts talking like yeah. Vito Corleone would later become. Yeah. And he's just like having a conversation with Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. And uh, just like, I mean, I love Brando a lot. I like I like him in Apocalypse Now. I mm-hmm. like him in Last Tango in Paris. Uh, I love him. In, oh, my God. Do I love on the waterfront? I mean, that is like yeah. one of my all time favorites. Uh, this dude is awesome. And uh, in this, though, he really transforms to mm-hmm. me because the dude was born in 1924. This was 72. So he's 48 years old, but he's playing a dude that looks like he's easily 60. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. uh, if you see him in other movies and stuff like he's he's aged, but he's like not old. Yeah. Like he's yeah. still. He's still got it, you know. Right. And I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and I'm like, how the fuck do you make a guy look like that? Yeah, yeah. He transformed himself, man. What do you think of uh, Brando in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I mean, my God, it's <laughs> again, it's one of the all time, one of the all time performances, you know. So he's he's incredible. He's you know he it, it how who commanded the screen better than him? You know, at, at this point when this movie came out what singular actor com- commanded the screen like he did in this film it's like it's uh, it'd be hard pressed to find somebody who, more uh, you know and, yeah. and even today you know even even after that uh you know may, maybe he's maybe a couple of his performances are in the running but you know who else it's you know it, it's it's a very short list and most of them are him you know whenever like there are actors in interviews whether they be late night shows or or fucking charlie rose or whatever the fuck sure and you listen to these interviews and the act and the the person interviewing will go what was it like working with uh gene hackman or whatever like i don't know it'd be like they were really young and the person they were working with like jack nicholson in 1988 sure you know what i mean it's like he's been around for 20 years or whatever Mm -hmm. um plus but uh, like this person is a new actor and it's like, what was it like working with this legend? Yeah. Right? It was yeah. like working with Jack Torrance or whatever. Yeah. And they just, you know, that they, they always talk it like you can watch the movie and you're like, it's I mean, it's not that like he's not that good in it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like you might watch a movie and you're just like Jack Nicholson was okay. He's not like I, that great. Sure. But the, man, the people that worked with him, like he was a true professional. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I learned so much just by he could just turn it on and it was like good. It was ready. Like he was just ready to go. Right. Yes. Or he he would do like, you know, Al Pacino or whatever he does. Right. Mm-hmm. He would like make these noises and then he would just click 
and he would like be in it, right? Mm-hmm. Brando is like the one of the only people that I can watch on the screen and go, I fucking get that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. Pacino and and uh and Duvall and Khan and all of these guys who were really young at that time, Diane Keaton, all of them. And they got to act with Marlon Brando. I mean, fucking a streetcar named Desire. You know what yes. I'm saying? Yeah. And they work with this fucking guy. And they talk all this big game like, yeah, he was like hard to work with sometimes, but God damn, was he good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just watched this fucking movie and I'm like, I get that. Yeah. It's like oh, one yeah. of the rare times that I get it because mm-hmm. a lot of times... I don't see what they see on the screen, but I get how they could be that good. Yes. Do you get what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You see it here. You just see it here. <laughs> That's the point. Yes. Um, the assassination scene is the last thing I want to talk about here, and then I'm open to anything you have, if there's yeah. anything we haven't covered. Mm-hmm. Um, other than this just being the greatest movie. Have you? Have I talked about that? Uh, <laughs> the assassination sequence in, in the... In the uh, Italian restaurant is yeah. obviously so famous mm-hmm. <clears throat> in film schools across the nation. This is used as an example mm-hmm. of great filmmaking. When I studied film in undergrad, this was a film that was shown uh, <laughs> the scene specifically yeah. to, to show uh, mise-en-scene to show how uh, you can tie audio with visuals with performance, mm-hmm. with writing, and all of that to kind of uh, congeal together into some kind of perfect texture here. Yeah. Um, when you, uh, uh, I'm going to ask a, a bit of a convoluted question, but you can kind of like uh, simplify it if you need to. <laughs> okay. But when you first saw this scene, if you can remember the first time, maybe you don't remember the yeah. first time and that's fine. You can just talk about how you feel now. Yeah. But the first time you saw this fucking scene, do you mm. remember how you felt during it? Was this like impactful? Yeah, it's it's so tense, you know, because we because they, you know, the the kind of the brilliance of it is is how they walk through it before, you know, and and it's and it's like such this clipped way, you know, and and you know, Michael doesn't want to do it, you know, like he does, but he doesn't, and you know, he's the again, he's the one in the family who hasn't been involved, so he's you know, even though he's a, a soldier and he's obviously fought in wars and things before, he you know, he's not still not he's still the outsider of the family so to speak you know when it comes to this part of things and he's just like i'm doing it and you know and how many movies uh you know mobster movies or gangster movies have have been um have included a character who in a in a fit of anger gets gunned down you know and and he of course is the one character we don't want to see that happen to so it's you know you get in there and it's just so tense because you know what he's doing and he's got and he plays it so cool you know it's just like wow but he plays it with a nuance yes that shows that he's terrified yeah but that he's pulling it off with the people around him yes and that is just not easy yeah no absolutely not yeah because yeah because you don't want you don't want the the other characters going why are you so twitchy you know like what the hell you know it's they're they're all you know he he plays it cool but as the viewer yeah you can tell that he's yeah that you know he's peeing his pants as he's going yeah he you know and he goes in there and gets in the bath that that moment he's in the bathroom by himself and you know he's going into the toilet to get the gun out it's like you know it's like man that's that's some tense stuff so yeah you have the chaos and the 
the uh, the kind of palpable tension of the train mm-hmm. driving by, which is kind of the classic example of yeah. of the audio and how that like plays into it. But it's yeah. just kind of a flawless work where it's like people could just watch this and experience it, and it's great, yeah. just yeah. casual viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also like the the film nerd that's going to watch this and yeah. you know talk about it the same way they talk about Citizen Kane. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. like it's it is the full package. Right, because Citizen Kane, I, I bring that up because that's obviously like such a cliche, like on so many number one sure. and, or, or top five lists, and but mm-hmm. that is such a hard movie for like casual viewers to digest. Exactly right. There's just way too much shit going on in that movie. I love it, yeah, because I, I yeah. love dealing with that shit. I love grappling with that shit. Yeah, uh, I love trying to like decipher all the the mm-hmm. symbols and stuff, right? Yeah. But for like, my dad is not going to watch Citizen Kane and get shit out of it. I'm yeah, not saying he wouldn't yeah. like it. He might think it's cool. I'm just saying he's not going to get out of it what I get, right? That's just not sure. how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. The Godfather, we could sit down and fucking chill, dude. Yeah. Because like, because I can chew on something and he can chew on something with the movie and it can mm-hmm. be two completely different things. But it is such a brilliant, um, what is the word? Like, um, I almost use the word wholesome, but I don't mean that in the way it's implied. Yeah, it's like I mean it as in it encompasses so much. Yeah, right? yeah. like it, it has so much complexity. Yeah. I'll <laughs> use complexity uh, that you can just do. And, and the, the perfect scene, I really do to be a fucking cliche. Uh, the perfect scene, I think, really is that scene in the Italian restaurant, though. Absolutely. I mean, that is, it's yeah. also narratively like the most fucking pivotal thing ever. Yes, because you have uh, because it's Michael's turn, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yeah, and that, yeah, it, it's a key moment in his life, and it's and you know, and, and it affects the rest of the series, you, you know, in such a, you know such a profound way. It, it changes the whole direction of the movie and of the series, and yeah, and and it just it, yeah, it's everything. And how what what fucking movie has a better sequel? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, and it fits so perfectly, and it doesn't feel forced at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it is like we see Vito Corleone and we see Michael's transformation, and in the second movie, we see Michael fulfill like stepping into his father's shoes and yeah. having to deal with shit, being his own man, having his own problems, but also trying to like reckon with like his father's <laughs> yeah, footsteps. A, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh, it's just yeah. the fucking greatest, dude. Yeah. Um. But anyways, uh, uh I have something else I want to say, but I want to give. Uh, just a little bit of room. Is there anything else with the Godfather that you feel like? Yeah. Yeah. What else can we say about this movie? It's it is. Yeah, it is. It is the, it is arguably the perfect movie. You know, there's, there's nothing. It it's, it's deliberate, but it's not slow. It's long, but it doesn't feel like it. It's there's a lot of excitement, a lot of tension, but also, so, you know, these quiet moments, it's just, it's just, it's got everything, you know, it's got everything you want to see in a film. And, you know, it, and for a movie made in the early seventies, it doesn't feel dated, you know, even, you know, even some of the great movies, you know, of, of, um, of all time that come from the seventies come from, even that come from the, you know, obviously previous decades, but, you know, after that, there's a lot of movies that we consider great movies that if you watch it, it, it feels of its time. And the Godfather feels like it could have been made at any time, you know, it could have been made in any decade. And, and yeah. it would still be as enjoyable as it is now. Yeah, we talked about, and I know you weren't as big on it as me, but we talked about the apartment. I talked about yeah. how it it hits all the fucking marks of a typical rom com, mm-hmm. but because of the way it's done, yeah. it is a perfect movie to me, and it is like the best. 
And it's like any any average person could just watch a Mm rom-com and then watch The Apartment and go, oh, yeah, it does all the same cliches. But it's like, no, 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 no. This all has purpose. Let's look at this. Let's break (laughs) this down. Everything that happens in the movie is either a logical consequence Mm -hmm. or a logical progression of the story, right? So there's nothing forced. There's no template that was there at the time. They just did the thing. Mm -hmm. The Godfather is that of this genre, of this new Hollywood era, right? Yeah. It is the movie that, uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see all of the gangster cliches that have come to be, but at this time, those yeah. weren't really just cliches. They right. created something different. They mm-hmm. did with The Godfather what Tarantino did with Pulp Fiction by right. completely changing the game by forcing everyone to look at this not only genre but look at film differently. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why The Godfather is just one of the greats. And uh, like I said, a lot of people will prefer part two. I do think it's a better film, mm-hmm. but I prefer The Godfather. I love the genre of it. Yeah. I love how stripped down it is. Mm-hmm. I love how perfect everything is, which I've already talked about. Yeah. I can't gush about this movie enough. And like I said, it's funny because I feel like I don't even know if this is even in my top 10. It definitely top 20 for sure. Probably yes. top 15. I just don't even know if it actually makes the fucking cut for 10. Yeah. And it's this good. Right. We got to do a fucking top 10 sometime or something, dude. Oh yeah. My God. yeah. We're, we're, but anyways. We're something like that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we. we yeah. Anyways, we we uh we've talked about the Godfather here. I want to give some room for us to talk a little bit about James Caan just in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. because you know this is the man of the hour here, and mm-hmm. uh, I want to make sure that we talk a little bit more broadly. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, James Caan died July sixth, so just like a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, and he was eighty-two years old. Dude has a legacy. If anyone ever has had one, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's done so much great work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's done some stinkers, but he even as a kid, when I didn't know who he was, because you know when I was growing up, like Jack Nicholson was an old guy, Robert De Niro was an old guy, Al Pacino yeah. was an old like in my head. I mean, they were just mm-hmm. like these guys that clearly had been around, and you know they did stuff like The Godfather, but they were just like whatever now, right? Uh, Gene yeah. Hackman. Like, I didn't understand why people loved these people, why they were so revered mm-hmm. until I got into film and I went back and I watched these movies. I'm like, fuck, they're great. <laughs> and then I realized there are people like James Caan that I even liked as a kid and didn't understand why he was so good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah like, really. You can command a fucking stage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your uh, history with James James Caan and some of the movies that really stand out to you. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's funny, too, just to when you're you know you're like oh james khan passed away it's like oh yeah james khan you know from the godfather and elf and you know those other movies you know and it's like wait yeah, what are his rollerball yeah. right and then but yeah but then you go back and look and you go holy shit i mean and i just went through um as we were getting started i just went through his filmography a little bit and i have this list of i don't know how many 15 movies maybe you know it's brian's song for god's sake like that's you know that yeah. was a tv movie and you know and uh I think it's, you know, it, it is notable uh, as being like the movie that made it okay for guys to cry at a movie. And, you know, it's again, based on a true story. It's, it's probably not looking back. I have not watched it for years. I'm sure it's not as great as I remember, uh, you know, if you just go back and watch it, but it's such a memorable movie, uh, you know, and then you, you said rollerball there. He was in he was in a silent movie. He's in, he did Mel Brooks for God's sake. Yeah. Um, Dude, he did no Funny idea. Lady, which yeah, is and, a big Barbara Streisand movie, and it's yeah, a freaking yeah, musical funny, by yeah, Herbert funny, Ross. 
Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned some stinkers and, you know, maybe, but he's, his, his filmography is surprisingly diverse too. He did Alien oh, yeah. Nation, you know, like that was such a different movie when it came out. Gardens of Stone is one that I watched um, years ago. He was fucking in Dick, Dick Tracy, Tracy, which I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? I said he's in fucking Dick Tracy. We said at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I was like, Dick Tracy. I don't even remember him in that movie. Uh, Misery, for God's sake. Such a great movie. And, and he was great in it. You know, that, you know, Misery is very much a movie of James Conn versus Kathy Bates is the majority yeah. of that movie. Can and, we talk about this real quick, though? Am I the only yeah. one that doesn't really like Misery that much? I think though so. I think James Conn is fucking great. I yeah. think so. Yeah, I, yeah I think you're the only person. <laughs> <laughs> why but tell me let, let me let's digress really quickly though i don't want to take yeah. a lot of time on this because we're already at an hour yeah. but like why do people like this so much yeah because honestly i think kathy bates is my problem because i think yeah. james Conn's fucking great yeah he is yeah he is well she's she's so perfectly unhinged in this movie though she's her her character i think her character is so specifically bizarre and she's such like a, she's such a caricature but that's the that's what makes the character work is that she is a caricature that she's made herself into the as you know as a a fan she doesn't necessarily feel like a real person but she also feels like people that that maybe we know in real life who have this strange devotion to something that's not really that good but they love it so much and you know you you might argue marvel movies for you know for someone like me or you know but but even her fandom takes, you know, goes to such a different level that it, it's it's just bizarre. And, you know, it's the the source material. It's it's sort of jokey and it's sort of not serious, but it's but it's also, you know, she brought it to life so much. That's that's what I what I really like. And it, about it. It, I, I just keep thinking it has to be like accurate to the source material. Yeah, uh-huh. because she's so she's so goofy to me. Yeah, uh-huh. like I can't like I don't I, I always thought it was like a scary movie because I didn't see it for the first time until like I've been, we've been doing this show. OK, like yeah, I never yeah. no, watched it's I very mean, dark I saw it on humor. TV. Yeah. I saw yeah. it on TV, but I uh-huh. never like watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was uh, I think James Conn's great in it. Uh-huh. And I don't th- I mean, I get what she's doing and she's doing it. Yeah. Well, I just don't uh-huh. I don't get it. But I don't hate the movie. I don't want that to be clear either. Sure. I mean, it's fine. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I'm just kind of I was just curious yeah. what you thought about yeah, it. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah. Let's but, but I mean, though. you know, let's, you know, if, if we're done, like, let, let's look at some of the other things. He was in the program playing a football coach, which is, you know, is a football movie from the 90s, which was, uh, you know, is a little overwrought. He did Elf and and let's just say it, like he totally phoned it in in Elf, but he's so it's still is so perfect. He's still so great. Yeah. Yeah. He, and it's one of those we were just talking about, um, you know, when we were talking about the untouchables and Connery phoning it in, but to kind of like. And I don't give a shit, but to great effect. And that was definitely, you know, James Conn and Elf. He, he was just like sitting there half the time. And he's like, what the hell am I even doing in this movie? Yeah. You know, but he's, Dude, he's, in, he's fucking Bottle Rocket. He right, was in yeah, uh, the Schwarzenegger was, movie Eraser. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your Eraser favorite movie, Bulletproof. Yeah. He was in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, for fuck's sake. Like, what are we yeah. doing? Like, you know, and, and maybe he's just taking paychecks. And so what? You know, it's like these are just. You know, he's still to, awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's still amazing in it. Um, so yeah, he, you know, there's just this whole list of things that, that he's, I mean, and Rollerball is just such a bizarre movie anyway. And it, it's, you know, and it, he just goes Dude. through and has all of these different things he's done. I don't know whether these are things that he did because he was like, I want to just do this, or if he's like, I'm just going to cash a check. 
I don't know. Yeah, you brought up a ton of stuff. He was also in like Family Guy and shit. So you brought up a huge variety of stuff that he's done, right? Yeah, I think he was in The Simpsons also. You think he played himself in both of those? Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a very him thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are still movies coming out that he's in, actually. But but there's one movie I have to bring up. I'm going to talk about this movie on the show at some point. All right. But it it came out. I just lost it. Let me find it. Uh, it came out in 2003. It's by Lars von Trier called Dogville. Yes, absolutely. If, I have it written down on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that? Oh, yes. That is okay. a bizarre ass movie, too. Yeah, it's fucking weird, dude. Like, yeah. but this dude's in and he's only in it like the end. Like, mm-hmm. he's not really in the movie the whole time, which is why yeah. um, I didn't choose to talk about this fucking movie because, uh-huh. uh, man, what a weird. Uh, it was supposed to be a trilogy. They only made two of them and he never finished. The, they never did a third. It was supposed to be called Washington, not Washington, but Washington. Yeah. Because um, it was Dogville, and then he did Manderley, and then he did Washington. But he didn't uh-huh. end up doing the third one. But it was on his IMDb for a while. Wow. Uh, but it was supposed to be that. And the whole gimmick of Dogville is that it's on a soundstage, and there are outlines of buildings and rooms and animals. And mm-hmm. it's just chalk outlines, basically. Yeah. And these people walk around. And if they walk into a house, they do kind of, they kind of mime turning a handle and opening a door and yeah. you hear the noises, but nothing is there. But it comes into great effect because I'll just say this vaguely. There's a scene where a man rapes a woman yeah, and he pushes her into a building mm-hmm. and he starts raping her. And there are people walking down the street. Now, again, there are no barriers. Yeah. So in the movie, it looks like he's just raping her in broad daylight in the middle of a place. Yes. But whenever you use your theater of the mind, right? Like mm-hmm. he's in a place withdrawn from everyone. Right. But it's like that effect is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie's fucking awesome. It's, yeah, Dude, it's it's a very interesting movie. Yeah, yeah, it's I I I love that shit. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, James Con, um, not to mention he is a hairy motherfucker. He is. Way. I was gonna but, say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, James Con is great, and I hope that everyone goes and watches a James Con movie of their choice. Yeah. I strongly encourage Thief, also The Godfather. I mean, get mm-hmm. out of here. If you want to get real wacky, watch Rollerball. If you want to get a little bit of uh, dark humor horror, watch uh, Misery. Because yeah. fuck me for what I think. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, watch that movie. Uh, there's just so much. If you're feeling like a musical, watch Funny Lady. If you're feeling like a little bit of some goofy comedy watch silent movie i mean there's everything under the sun here uh in his filmography and i just uh you know rest in peace yeah absolutely yep absolutely thank you very much james con yeah exactly yeah any any final thoughts uh uh, mr shearer yeah there yeah there's all you know i didn't mention kiss me goodbye um which is uh, again uh, he co-started with sally field and i think he I, I don't remember. I, I thought this, this was a very early HBO movie. Like he is a ghost. He's Sally Field's dead husband. Maybe he's not. I don't remember. Oh, but shit. It's, yeah. I just remembered this movie. Yeah. I've completely yeah. forgot that was the movie, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I want to pull it up because I don't remember it enough to, um uh, to really speak that clearly on it. But I, but I remember, I remember seeing that the pr- promo or something for that on um, HBO way in the, in the early days. And, I was like, I want to see that movie. Like, that's an idea. So basically, like, um, uh, uh, Sally Field's dead husband comes back to haunt her as she's going to, like, she's moving on and going to get married to um, a, a new guy. Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges is also, dude. Jeff Bridges is the new guy. James <laughs> Conn is the ghost. And 
you know, like just what a fun, you know, as, as a, I mean, this came out in 1982. So I would have been what five or six years old. Like to, you know, for, for me watching that, I was like, what a fun premise for a movie, you know, uh, you know, even as it's sort of an adult movie, <laughs> uh, you know, an adult theme movie, you know, like I yeah. said, I was five, six, seven years old, you know, in this movie's, you know, this movie's time. And, you know, what, you know, what a thing to, to hook someone like the, you know, your, your dead husband's ghost comes back to keep you, try to keep you from marrying another guy like that. that and that premise has been done so many times over since, you know, that it, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not looking at the cast. It's not, maybe not a great cast I, outside of those three leads. But yeah. Paul Dooley. But they're the leads though. <laughs> yeah. And, and you should just watch the trailer at the very least. You can see James Kahn's uh, just kind of flawless talent at dancing yeah. because he's not necessarily a great dancer. Okay. I'm not saying that, uh-huh. but he has a charisma and a suave yeah. to him when he puts on those fucking fedora or whatever hat he wore. Yeah. Uh-huh. And whenever he's doing these, he'll do these little tap dance things and stop. And he just looks so charming. Yeah. Huh? Goodness, man. Yeah. That's, what a great guy. That's just just his mugging is just so like, yeah, I'm, I'm literally watching it now with no sound. Just his mugging is so, you know, it's just so perfect. And so, you know, it's so charming and perfect. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a whole slew of stuff to watch. Go watch it. Joe, I'm calling it, brother. Thank right. you so much. Hey. Last minute, too. Joe was not supposed to be on the show. Hey, I, I'm going to go give so Sam a whole bunch here. of shit right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Sam's good. Sam's good. Sam's going to come on uh, another time. I actually asked Sam short notice, too. So yeah. it's not really his fault. But um, but uh, we love Sam here uh, more than Joe. But Joe came around, so it's fine. <laughs> um, but thanks a lot, buddy. All right. Hey, hey everybody, go watch a James Conn movie. All right, that was our episode today. It was uh, Joe and I talking about The Godfather. I also had a chance to talk about Michael Mann's first feature film, Thief. And, um, you know, this is really all just, uh, you know, a memorial show for James Caan, who died on July 6th. And, uh, you know, what a great talent. I mean, the guy just, as you heard Joe and I talk about, the guy did so much work, such a, a versatile actor, did so many things. And he's just a guy that a lot of people don't think about beyond, like, Elf these days i feel like or or misery maybe you know or something like that and and even with the godfather i don't feel like people talk about james Kahn, and he is just great so i'm really glad that we got to do this show i have uh, several guests coming up here uh, as i said at the top of the show i'm going to be uh having s- several fun folks i'm going to have some people coming back uh, i'm working on getting greg Binnick back i'm going to try to get uh uh, Bedard from Bain back. I've been in talks with him. We're just trying to pin down a date. Um, I'm going to have Jake Bonaliri back, hopefully. We're going to talk about uh, some Sam Peckinball shit as long as we can get that worked out. A lot of this is just scheduling, guys. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's like all these guys want to come on. Uh, but I'm going to have a new uh, a new guest, Mike Parsram. He's from a hardcore band called Cold Shoulder. It's a band that my old band used to play with a lot. Um, I'm going to have some uh, former professors of mine, uh, some former musician friends, all kinds of stuff as we lead into episode 100, which should be airing in September. So I'm really excited. Thank you guys all for sticking around with us this long. I love you. And for now, good night, good luck, and take it easy.